0: Hey everybody, this is Heike Yitz, and welcome to another episode of the Pursue Your Spark podcast. My guest today is Clevon Jacobs. Juan is the principal and founder of Creating Quality LLC, a global strategic advisory and consulting firm that helps individuals and organizations. Design and implement simple practical solutions to complex problems. As an experienced healthcare attorney, Vaughn helps healthcare providers working in underserved communities manage their regulatory risks so that they can focus on providing high quality care for those who need it the most. In addition, as a transformational professional coach, Vaughn advances equity in the legal profession by helping black women attorneys discover who they are and what they want so they can create careers and more importantly, lives where they thrive. And something I did not know, Vaughn is a lover of bourbon and an advocate of black women everywhere. Vaughn loves spending her days getting into good drink, good music, and good trouble. I love this. Hi there, you're listening to the Pursue Your Spark podcast. I'm your host and fitness warrior, Heike Yates. And on this show, we empower women over 50 to take back their health and strength with sound fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies. Our guests on the show share their honest stories so that you'll have the courage to take action knowing that you're not alone in your struggles.
1: Welcome to the show, Juan. Thank you. It's nice to be here. What kind of bourbon do you drink? Oh my gosh, there are so many. There are so many. Um, Right now, I am on a kick with Uncle Nearest, which is actually a new whiskey that came out of a company that was founded by a woman who is related to and associated with the family of the man who taught Jack Daniels how to make uh, whiskey. So yeah. Jack Daniels grew up in Lynchburg, Tennessee, and there was a black man there named Uncle Nearest, well, they called him Uncle Nearest, his name was Nearest Green, and he taught little Jack how to make whiskey, and then Jack created Jack Daniels. And so she learned the story, got in touch with the family, and created, actually have bottles, I'm looking over here because I have two bottles sitting up here in my office, of uncle nearest and so that's what i've been drinking lately but i love anything that's got a nice warm caramel smooth finish you know good pappy 23 never hurt anybody
0: so ladies if you're into bourbon you gotta talk to vaughn because i know nothing
1: about. I, you asked me about wine i'm a lot more versatile <laughs> wine, but i'm like we're gonna have to oh, get I'll, together and, and, and I'll, we'll do a tasting we'll get i'll get you in i'll give you a little intro tasting we'll talk Oh, that could be fun. I yeah. would love it. But what I like to
0: let our my listeners know is how I met, if possible, how I met my guests. And our story was just fun. And that's how I, I saw you presenting at the summer camp. And I just love your story and I, I invited you onto the show and you said yes, but we met at summer camp. How cool is that? I
1: know, right? Because I didn't even go to camp as a kid, but I went to camp at 43 and made all sorts of new amazing friends. So it was great.
0: So summer camp was a virtual event that recently just uh, happened, uh, put on by Heather Joy Hubbard. And it was just such a fun event. It's so educational and so enlightening. And we, like I said, I've never been like you, Vaughn. I've never been to camp, but that was just fun. And we learned a lot and we met so many awesome other women and a few men.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was really good. Um, I know Heather had this big idea that nobody got when she tried to explain it to them that we're going to have a virtual summer camp but it turned out to be an amazing amazing event it was so it was a lot of fun
0: and so in that same sense along those if are talking about the power of choice and breaking free from other people's expectations so i saw you present at summer camp but my audience doesn't know who you are other than from the introduction and that you love bourbon and that you just is some real cool chick. And I wish we could see each other and we're on the same uh, part of the East Coast. So we're
1: not that far away, but tell our audience, how was it, where did you grow up? Who are you? Oh, wow. Okay, so I am from a small town in South Carolina called Orangeburg, South Carolina. And it is a very interesting place because it is a small Southern town but it had, it's the home of two historically black colleges and universities. So I had um, a lot of higher education influence in my life, even as a young kid in a small town. Um, so I had people ever since I was a little kid encouraging me to go to law school. So that's what I did. Um, Cause I liked to argue and I was a smart little girl and I never had a problem telling people what I thought. And so people were like, you should go to law school. And so I did. Um, And I enjoyed it, um, but I never really thought about um, until much, much later in my life what it is I actually wanted to do. I knew what I was good at. I knew what people expected of me. um, And I didn't have any sort of visceral objection to any of that. So I did that. But I never spent any time until I got much, much older um, thinking about exactly what is it that I want to do and sort of what is the impact I want to have on the world. So part of how I got to sort of the summer camp experience and telling that story was that I had been working and practicing law for a very long time and it was just wearing on me. And I was in a work environment that was not supportive of me physically or emotionally or mentally. And I really started to pay the price for that. And I ended up actually getting very, very sick.
0: Now, let me ask you
1: one. Hold on. Yes.
0: What type of law were you studying?
1: So, I actually um, am a healthcare lawyer. So, it's the healthcare law, actually. So, I was representing hospitals and health systems and healthcare providers. And, from a regulatory standpoint, so healthcare in the United States is one of the most complex industries ever. And there are tons and tons of rules. And so, I'm one of those people that helps people figure out what the rules are and how they're supposed to work so that people can try to stay out of jail and out of trouble. And, um, and so I was doing that work and I was working 80, 90 hours a week, which isn't uncommon for lawyers in corporate settings, but it's a lot. And I wasn't taking care of myself and my body just decided it was no longer interested in um, being a part of that scenario. And so I had a major health issue um, and that's the tattoo that I have on my wrist actually. Nice. We yeah. also
0: have a video. It's, yeah, it's my
1: literal EKG from the day that I died. So I'm a, I went tachycardic. They stopped my heart and then they restarted it. So I okay. call this tattoo perspective. Now you were in hospital, so you were at work and you broke down. So you I was- wasn't even at work. I had been grinding, grinding, grinding. So I worked at a law firm, but represented hospitals and health systems. And so I had been working, 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 and I had gotten up that day and my heart was just pounding. So I'm curled up in my bed at home trying to convince myself to sit up, like trying to talk my body into sitting up so that I can go to work. And my heart is racing and I cannot sit up. And um, I'm just trying so hard to convince myself because I just was of the mindset that I have to go to work. This is the thing that they're paying, you know, you have to go do it. And my body was just like not having it. And thankfully, um, I was blessed and still am blessed to have friends who have better sense than I do, and, <laughs> and called to check on me and heard what was going on and my friend Susan came and got me and took me to the hospital where they were like, "Your heart rate is one ninety we 're admitting you in immediately, and they literally had to give me drugs to stop my heart because they couldn't get a, a, a solid rhythm and then restart it and Yeah.
0: You were basically
1: dead. Yes, I was dead. Like I had the whole seeing I could see the whole thing like floating above myself see the whole story. There were these nurses scrambling around there was this beautiful I still remember his face this beautiful nurse to this side of me putting an IV in trying to finally and ended up having to put it in my in my neck because he couldn't get a blood vessel anywhere else. But he was gorgeous. I remember his face. (laughs) <laughs> and well, it's a good memory to die with a, i love right? know if i'm gonna die at least i got to die looking at something beautiful um and all these people are scrambling and my friend krista is at the door of the bay where they have me krista is calling my mother who she has never spoken to and never met to tell her hi you don't know me my name is krista i work with your daughter we're at vanderbilt they're about to stop her heart but they say they can restart it that is the first conversation Krista had with my mother. Where does your mother live? My mother lives in Orangeburg, South Carolina still. So she's still in hometown. Yep. And which from Nashville was about an eight hour drive. Okay. So I, I was in Nashville at the time when this happened. And, um, and so that was my first wake up call. But because I happen to be one of these people that you know, needs to get smacked in the face a couple times, I had a couple more <laughs> wake-up calls. Let me
0: backtrack. So you're looking at this gorgeous nurse, and you're going, I'm going to heaven. This is actually not so bad because I'm looking at something gorgeous. And then they, they woke you back up.
1: And then they woke me up. And I it wasn't until they woke me back up that I really sort of got that I actually almost died trying to do a job that I didn't really like all that much anymore For a reason I couldn't articulate because it wasn't really what I wanted per se it's just what I had been doing and what I had trained to do and spent all that money and education and time getting to the point to be able to do but I'd never really thought about well is there any other way to live my life I'd never questioned it and it wasn't until I woke up and I was like I almost died for a job that I'm not even sure I really like anymore. Um, that's probably not a good thing.
0: So what happened then? You you were woken up, you came to this realization and how long do you stay at the hospital?
1: So I was in the hospital for a few days and I got diagnosed with lupus, with an autoimmune disorder called lupus. And so I did six months of chemo after that where I had uh, infusions um, once a month for six months of basically chemotherapy drugs, which meant for at least two weeks out of the month, I was basically useless because I was either getting the infusion and recovering from that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That would take me about two weeks. And then I was still working because I, again, not being able to put these things together correctly was still under the impression that I needed to show up and go to work. And they didn't disavow me of that impression. either they said great you're here um but it was it was one of these things where like it's great you're here but you're not the same Vaughn. you're not working the same way you used to and I'm like well I physically can't but so there was this it was when I really started to understand that you have to advocate for yourself because people will do to you what you let them do to you and and circumstances will perpetuate themselves if you allow them to do that but until you interrupt that pattern, it will just keep going. And so that was my first sort of lesson on interruption.
0: Very good. It's like, I think the realization is really what we all need. Like the wake-up call on your party was a dramatic wake-up call. It was not just like, oh, somebody bumped you. you. You died and came back and you said, oh my God, what have I done to myself? And when did you get the tattoo on? So, I didn't get the tattoo until much later. We okay, so um, hold, hold on to that, done. We hold on to that because that's a good story, too, part of the story, I think. But yeah. So, you got smack dab in the head and you got chemotherapy and you went back to work and they said, Hey, you're not the same person. You're not producing as well.
1: Yeah. And so I said, Okay, well, I can't do that anymore because I just physically at the time couldn't do it. And I thought, well, maybe it's just being in a law firm. And if I moved, and went and worked for a company instead of being in a law firm. Because the theory is that life as a lawyer inside a company is somehow less stressful and Mm -hmm. less work. It actually is not, but you know, that's the story they tell you, right? Um, So I decided to go in house. So I went to go work for a hospital and the hours were probably more reasonable relative to the already tremendously unreasonable law firm hours but they were not ours, conducive to a healthy life, in my opinion. And they just, they really weren't about, it, it's not, it's just not, it wasn't set up for that. That's just not how it's set up. But I worked at in-house and I was doing that and I was like, okay, it's going to be better because I'm in-house now and it's going to be easier. It's not easier. It's just a different sort of crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, again, people will do and, and take as much from you as you allow them. And I still was learning how to say no. And learning how to say, here's my boundary. And I hadn't quite got good at that yet. So even in that job, um, I ran up against sort of the same kind of, well, if you're gonna keep showing up here and giving us 80, 90 hours, of work, we're gonna take them all, and we're gonna continue to do these things, and we're not gonna recognize your effort, and we're not gonna remember that you're actually providing value, cause you keep showing up. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I left there because I thought, well, one evil for the next evil. And then what was next? So the next evil was like, well, maybe it's just, that was the wrong company. So then I was like, well, I'm just going to go to this different company. Right. (laughs) That was, um, you know, my, my, it was an academic setting. So the first place I went was like a corporate hospital sort of setup. The second place I went was more of an academic setting. Um, And I thought, okay, well, of course, in in academia, it's gonna be, everyone loves, everybody's so calm and relaxed and we get summers off. And yeah, none of that. (laughs) What? None of that. Um, It was yet another environment where I realized that and this, this third place is really where I got this lesson, which was, again, people will do to you what you let them. When are you going to love yourself enough and value yourself enough to say no? That is where I learned how to say no. How? That I, I really I had gotten into um, some personal development work sort of in along the way. And I met a person um, who is currently my coach, one of my coaches, Mia, uh, Mia Lamott, at a jazz concert, actually. (laughs) And she told me about this training that she had done, this transformational training. And she gave me a free gift card for the first little session. So I went to that. That opened up a lot of stuff for me. Again, just sort of showing me myself and showing me how I was um, presenting myself to the world as um, a victim, as someone who could be taken advantage of.
0: Can you give an example
1: of something? So, okay. So an example would be, I joined that last company, that last place, under the impression that I was going to be basically, so the head of the department, their deputy, and then me, right? Mm -hmm. And there were a bunch of us that were on that sort of third level, but we were supposedly equal. That was my impression. That was what was presented to me sort of in my offer letter and, and the way I understood our relationship. But it turns out that that was not the, the, the conversation that the company had had with itself. And that there was a person who had the same title as me who had been told that she was my boss. Oh. And I had been having some conflict with her because I didn't understand why she thought she could tell me what to do because in my mind, I don't work for you. But in her mind, I did work for her. And so I didn't learn that until towards the very end of my tenure there. But it it was one of those things that just sort of showed me um, that I had not really, instead of sort of focusing on my conflict with her, I really should have been having that conversation with the head of the department and getting clarity around what the roles and expectations were on the front end instead of after everything has evolved. So it was one of these things where, well, I just kind of showed up and smiled and said, I'll do whatever you tell me and do whatever you want me to do. Cause I just, you know, I'm just so happy to be here as if I wasn't bringing anything to the table.
0: Ah, You know what? I think a lot of women can relate to that. They're re- really not valuing their value for themselves and they go in and and say, you know, here I am. Don't you see how amazing I am? And they're like, oh no, we're just gonna work you to death.
1: Yeah, it really, it really, and, and you know, and learning how to stand in that worthiness is what I've learned through coaching and transformational training, sort of personal development work is I am worthy. Like that is one of the first things that I put in sort of my little mantra I am worthy. I am bringing value. My presence and my existence is adding something to this equation that would not otherwise be here. And so that is something that we get to acknowledge and celebrate and that I get to stand in and say, yay, yay for me. And then the second part of it is I get to choose, right? Mm -hmm. So what I, what I came to understand is that I and not standing in my worthiness and not advocating for myself the way I would for any client or any friend or honestly any stranger, I was choosing to be disrespected. I was ch- in not advocating and not making a stand. I was making a choice. I didn't think I was. I thought, well, this is just happening to me. They're doing it to me. No, I was participating. I was choosing to stand there and get smacked around, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I had to choose, I had to decide what was worth, um, what it was worth to me to be able to get up and be excited about what I was doing that day. And so I made a different choice. I chose to stand in my worthiness, and I chose to say, here are my boundaries, here are my needs, here are my parameters for my continued participation in this environment, they couldn't meet those. And so I chose to leave.
0: How? So you had to tell them that you're going to leave. And they said what? Okay. <laughs> they said, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, I mean, out of here, replace you with somebody else. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And you know what? When you worked with your development coach, self-development coach, yeah. and got all these empowering messages, how did you... Um, I, a better word doesn't come to mind. How did you digest them? How did you put them into action at the current place where you work? In before you decided to leave, or were you able to do that, or did you do that afterwards?
1: I was, I was trying. I was. I think what happened while I was in that environment was a lot of awareness. Right. I was coming to into understanding what was happening and what my role in was in what was happening. And so that was happening while I was in the environment. It wasn't probably until I left and actually, well, it was when I said, these are my boundaries, these are my parameters. And they said, no. And I said, okay, well, I'm leaving. I've got to create something new for myself. And that was when I really had to apply more of that, more of that information and more of those skills and and into creating a new life for myself, because I'd I'd never worked for myself. Yeah, when you think about it
0: too, Vaughn, it's like you're in a company where you're undervalued, you're giving it your all, you're trying to have strategies to integrate yourself or make them understand what you're doing, and then on the other hand, they're just like, okay, well, here you go, here's my offer here, my boundaries, and they're like, no, there's no negotiating. There's no like coming back with like, oh, these are your boundaries. Okay. This is what we expect. There was no conversation whatsoever.
1: They seemed to just chew you out,
0: replace you.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really, and that's what it felt like, which was again, sort of a new concept for me. I'm a straight A student. I win everything I do, <laughs> you know, like I've And this was, this felt like losing. Honestly, it turned out not to be a loss. It turned about to be probably the greatest thing that ever happened to me. But um, in the middle of it, when, you know, when you sort of get, when you really get shown that the brochure isn't accurate, right? That, That the we love you and please be in all our pictures because I was also one of the only black people in the office Oh God! I'm I'm in every diversity brochure. I'm on every description. And yet that love isn't real. That's not love, right? It was like, you know, well, we need a black one. We need an orange one and we need a green one. We got to have some, we need to balance out the picture. So we're going to put you in all the pictures, but we don't really mean that we want you to stay and we really value you here. We don't mean that what prompted you
0: to quit? What, what, what happened at the, was there like a peak or a moment where you said, that's it, I'm done. Or did you like plan for it? If they're not meeting my guidelines or my, my uh, demands at this point, I'm going to leave. Yeah,
1: it was, it was, I mean, I would say I had a plan in the sense that because I am a planner just by nature, I have 40, breakout scenarios for what can happen you know disaster planning is what I'm trained to do so that's what I did but I never believed I think until there was a meeting that I had with not the head of the department but um her deputy where I was laying everything out and I was practically in tears and I don't cry I am not a cryer. um and I was practically in tears and I was just like begging desperately for him to help me Mm -hmm. and he just kind of was like there's nothing I can do there's just I'm like I I hear you I think everything you're saying is accurate Um, because it was particularly about my relationship with the person who thought she was my boss that no one told me was my boss Um, and he was like yes you're accurate that she does behave that way she does that to everybody Um, we all can't stand it, but they've all been able to carve out their own sort of havens. I don't have anywhere to go. I'm asking you to help me. And he was just kind of like, yeah, I got nothing. And so (laughs) I was like, well, then what is the point? (laughs) Like, you know, that was when I think the heartbreak set in is, is what I would call it. The heartbreak that, okay, no one's coming to save me. And this isn't going to be fair like there 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 is no there is no redemption in this scenario in the sense that there's no sort of superhero coming in to make it all better and i'm going to have to decide either that i'm willing to just be miserable for the sake of having this job and the security that comes with it or i am going to choose my happiness and my health, honestly, and take a shot on me, you know, because I have, I now have to go out under my own name and on my own dime and on my own merit and, and create something for myself. And you did that. And I did it, So what, I what, did it, what do you I am mean? very proud, I did it. And I, I am um, happier than I've ever been and ever thought I could be working every day, you know? <laughs> um but yeah I had to really figure out for myself what did I do you know if I'm gonna die doing something what is that thing that I'm gonna die doing and I and that place just wasn't gonna be it I did not want to die being miserable for the sake of the ease of someone else
0: So you took all the stuff you learned from Mia and you said, I'm creating my own company. Yes. You created, um, uh, creating equality LLC, is that what it is? Creating equity. Equity, I'm sorry. Yeah. Creating equity LLC. Okay, so this was your first own baby, so to speak. Your own company, you're the boss, you call the shots, you tell it as it is, and you work as many hours as you want.
1: Yes. So what happened is when I left that job, I was like, well, I was still in the mindset that I only know how to do one thing, which is be a healthcare lawyer. So what I started out was I created a consulting firm that was a healthcare consulting firm that did healthcare consulting. For, it's basically the same job I was doing before, but under my own umbrella. Mm-hmm. And that, cause that was a safe choice you know, relative, You know, I knew how to do that stuff. I had relationships with those kinds of clients and those kinds of people. I had a bit of a reputation um, that I created because I'd been engaged in a lot of professional associations. And so people knew who I was and knew I was good. And so I was ease of entry kind of thing. But as I was doing that work, I was like, there's more, there's something more than just me writing these contracts and sort of you know, putting together these policies, there's something else I can contribute. Um, and I was trying to figure out what that was and I've always just been driven by this pursuit of justice and fairness and equity. And in the last year I have really come to understand what that means and what it could look like in terms of me using all of my legal and business skills to, uh, create equity in the world. And that is why I shifted my company and from just healthcare consulting, plus all these other skills I've kind of been picking up along the way <laughs> and really thinking about, okay, well, what are you, what is your purpose Vaughn? What are you here to do? I am here to create, an, I am committed to creating an equitable world. And so every piece of my company now, which is why the name was changed to creating equity is dedicated to that purpose. I see so that's yeah, it, it but it yeah, it's it's one of these things where you I eased into it. I didn't I didn't do a full leap, but I, I had took little leaps. I'm taking bigger leaps now though, because I now um, trust myself more, I think.
0: yeah, I think when you initially start out, we all have an idea, but then as you keep dabbling in that business, you're like, oh, I have all these skills and but I really my passion is, that niche and how can I build out that niche to serve what I think needs to be served and is underserved as you you do. And then you put the pieces of the puzzle together and and um, create that dream of yours. And I think that dream continues to grow as you grow. Yeah. Probably will pivot again once more because you shared with me one of your dreams which
1: is oh gosh which one of these?
0: One of these I want
1: to do a TEDx talk, you said. Oh, yes, yes. This is, so how I even got to do summer camp, right, in one of the keynotes at summer camp, one of the speeches, was because in my mastermind that I'm a part of with Heather, she took us through this exercise. We were all like woo-woo, you know, having a good time, dancing to some music. And she asked us, what's your big goal for 2020? And I said, I want to give a TEDx talk. I want to talk, on a stage about something that is not about the law. And I did not realize that was what was gonna come out of my mouth, honestly, cause I'd never consciously thought about that. But the minute I said it, I was like, it's true. It is also the scariest thing that I've ever said out loud. <laughs> because I have no problem getting on a stage and talking about the law. And I, I mean, I've been doing that for almost 20 years. I'm, I love that part, but the TEDx stage is not about that. The TEDx stage is about your story, your story, your your personal journey through life. I never told my story before. So summer camp was the first place I publicly told my story.
0: And you did a damn good job. I have to say, because from all the stories that were amazing I heard. And I was like, I was hearing you speak and you could have a chat window open while you're on virtual. And I'm like,
1: I want you on my podcast. Contact me. People need to hear your story. Oh, thank you so much. It was one of the best thing. I mean, like it was scary as probably most, you know, awesome things are at some point. Um, And it was so fulfilling because I realized I can do hard things. Nice. I've been doing hard things my whole life, but for some reason this hard thing seemed impossible. And yet once I said yes to it, and, and it really was sort of the saying yes and the committing to showing up, it all kind of fell into place and people were really into it, which I wasn't sure was gonna happen yeah Uh, you know I wasn't I was like my commitment was to tell it I don't know what people are going to do with it but I thought you had a a TEDx
0: talk right there and then I tell you Vaughn,
1: it was great I mean like I'm I'm so grateful to Heather because she really did give me my stage because you know once COVID hit I thought I was off the hook right because I was like well I can't do it now it's not my fault right like you know how we get to do with our big goals like I said I would have done it, but oh, COVID said we all have to stay home and they're not, they're not doing stages anymore. So I'm just gonna sit back and never, you know, and Heather was like, I will have none of that. (laughs) (laughs) I will just build you a stage and you will still get up there and tell your story.
0: Uh that's all awesome. it was awesome and that's why i wanted my listeners to hear that story because there's so much depth to it there's and when we prepared for the interview we could have talked for hours guys we were like all over the place and all yeah. these cool things and we're like we gotta tighten this down a little bit otherwise they're gonna go what? two hours later they're still talking <laughs> so we're trying to narrow it down and we want to have vaughn come back at a later time and and keep us up to date with what's going on with her life now. But as a transformational professional coach, what do you exactly do or how do you approach um, black women attorneys to help them?
1: So honestly, what I do as a coach is, I coach the person I was 10 years ago. So the girl who is frustrated and heartbroken and exhausted, and realizing that the story in the brochure isn't real and 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 that the system that you thought was going to work one way it was never set up to work like that and you have an opportunity to choose whether you're going to stay there and play that game because you can do that right you can stay and play that game with the understanding of how it works or you can create a new scenario for yourself. And so I take the lessons that I've learned and the skills that I've gathered and I help the the woman I was 10 years ago, try to get to where I am now in a little bit shorter time without the almost dying. Yes. Yes. Because I mean, I think
0: that many of us, and I, I can like, when you just said this, I can just pinpoint some of my clients that are, there are attorneys and would you're saying, I was like, "Yep, that's what they tell me all the time. This is this is where they are, and 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 they're they're having their dreams, but they're so stuck in this 80, 90 hour a week, and I'm busting my butt for something that I don't I don't really want to be there. I believe in the cause, let's put it that way, in the work I do, but the rest is just it's not happening for me. It's I don't have a life."
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, is that when you're in law school and when you're in sort of the industry, the messaging is such an echo chamber, right? So you never even get a chance to think about whether there is another way to do this. Is there another way to leverage these skills and this knowledge that I have to have the impact in the world that I want to have without having to literally sacrifice myself i said in the top sacrifice myself on the altar of someone else's dream yeah you said that yeah because that's what that's what it feels like at least that's what it felt like for me
0: yeah yeah and it is when you think about the uh particularly i think the american culture is all about just take 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 and there's very little give from the workforce
1: yeah it's a hustle and grind mentality right and and um and a lot of people get ground to dust mm-hmm. in that in in that machine. and if you have an opportunity to help someone sort of stick their head up and go, "Wait a minute, there's a whole giant world out here that I could be doing um, a, a being a part of and really enjoying, and that there's a way to do that without starving. And without sort of throwing everything away, because I think that's one of the stories we tell ourselves as well. I spent all this time and money getting these degrees and getting to this place and I'm going to throw it all away. Mm-hmm. Like it's not throwing it away You're going to take every bit of that experience with you wherever you go. <laughs> um, but, you know, to me, throwing it away is to say, I'm just going to be miserable with all of this instead of taking a chance and believing in me. Mm-hmm what
0: do you think the hardest part of that whole transformation up till now has been for you?
1: It's my constant conversation is a worthiness conversation and it has evolved, but it's still a worthiness conversation. And that, which is why I made it my mantra because it is just hard. I think to own that in the depths of your soul sometimes that you are inherently worthy that i don't have to do anything that i'm 100 whole and complete and and that my very existence is an affirmation of my worthiness um that is where that is sort of my nirvana point and so everything that i do And all of the work that I do to remind myself and others is really a a conversation trying to reaffirm for ourselves our own worthiness. Mm -hmm. Because once you understand that and get that, the rest of the stuff kind of flows from that. But until you believe that you're worthy um, to have a good life, you know, and however you define good, I'm not even telling you what good looks like but however you define good you are worthy of having a good life mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. what would you say to our listeners how if they find themselves in a situation similar to what you described wh- what would you tell them to do or what would their first steps be and yeah. um
1: yeah my first suggestion and it's going to sound <laughs> I'm laughing because I can hear me telling this to myself um, 10 years ago, and I can see the face I would have made, but it works. So I will say this, get in a room and get still and quiet. Just let yourself, because we don't make space for quiet and stillness. Um, There's always the TV, the radio, something's going on. Get in a room and get still and quiet and just ask yourself, who am I and what do I want? And it's it's a harder question than some people may think it is. But if you sit still and give yourself an opportunity to hear what you already know, this is the thing, we already know this stuff. Uh, because again, we were designed to with that internal understanding. But we've sort of somehow shut ourselves off. But if you get still and quiet, and just listen to what your heart and your soul are telling you, you'll start to come to see new things and sort of see what's working for you and what's not. And then you can plan around that. Like the strategy part for me, which is the part I love, but it's also one of the easiest parts. The soul work is, is, is the key because the strategy you can create, but if you don't know what you're aiming for, then it doesn't matter what your strategy is. Do You write it down? or I write it down because I write everything down. Some <laughs> people, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a, again, lawyer by training. I have 25 of these little journals that I keep all over the place. Um, and because I'm a visual learner and that just sort of works for me. But some people just say it to themselves, just kind of sort of listening and, and just knowing it for yourself may be enough. But I, I like to write it down because I can come back to it and go, okay, that still rings true for me or no, that doesn't ring true for me anymore because you'll, like you were saying, you know, as you grow, as you develop, as you learn more things, you're going to shift. And that's beautiful because if you're not growing, you're dead. And again, I kind of did that already. So I, you know, I want to be in this sort of state of curiosity. Um, this, this sort of space of curiosity about what wonderful things does God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, have for me if I'm willing to listen and receive? So just stillness, quiet. And that brings me to, when did you get the tattoo? Because I Okay, so I got the the tattoo when I quit. The, The last job you quit. The last job I quit, I went and got this tattoo. And my friend Karan went with me. And I said, I need to have something to remind me why I quit. And this is sort of like I said, it's my perspective Mm -hmm. because I could be dead. And I was almost dead. So whenever I get freaked out about, oh my gosh, where's the next client coming from? Or oh my gosh, what kind of, how am I gonna give this talk? How am I gonna do that? I literally look at my wrist and go, Okay. It's figure outable, as Marie Forleo would say.
0: Yeah, that's right. He's like, but it's it's a good reminder because you're like we all go crazy and, and, and doing stuff, and you're like, oh my god, and then you look at it and you're like, Okay.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's one of it's one of the reasons I wanted a tattoo as opposed to a piece of jewelry or something, because I wanted to never be without it. Yeah. So unless somebody chops off my arm, I will always have this reminder. <laughs> And if somebody chops off my arm, then I guess that'll be my reminder, you know? Yeah, but you know, it's like well, one way or another, whatever works for people, but I Yeah, don't... but however you just, just some way of reminding yourself and recentering yourself, because it's going to get hectic. It's going to get hard. You're going you're to gonna want to quit. You're going to want to cry. You're going to want to scream. All that's normal and acceptable. But if you have something that helps you stay centered on your why- you'll make it.
0: Now, where is Vaughn going from here? What are the plans at this point? Do You have already created so much amazing uh, venues, but what's on the plate for you next?
1: So I just launched uh, a new nonprofit and Facebook sort of community organization with my partner, Linda Marie Miller, called One Shared Humanity. And that is sort of the community arm of my creating equity And through that, we are actually going to start addressing all of, we call them the isms that separate people. So we are going to get messy and start talking about and having what we're calling courageous conversations about racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and all of the religious, you know, persecution and discrimination. All of the things that we use to separate ourselves Um, we're going to get into it and we're going to talk about why those things are, how they persist, and what we can do to shift those narratives so that we really come to understand that we are one shared humanity and all anybody wants to do is live free. That's all any person wants to do is live free. Um, And how can we do that? So I'm doing that. I'm doing the professional coaching Um, And that program is launching, and I'm still running my healthcare consulting. But my healthcare consulting is very much focused on rural and other underserved communities because I want to address healthcare disparities, um, and that is my focus on creating equity in that arena because it's an arena I know. How can I support those providers who are out there in the middle of nowhere or in those urban communities that don't have resources, that don't have um, the talent that they need that don't have the expertise, how can I support them so that they can take care of people? So that again, we can live free, healthy lives, which is all anybody wants. So I'm doing a lot of stuff, but it's all centered around however I can, wherever I am promoting and creating equity. So.
0: That's awesome. That's such a good message. Vaughn, where can people
1: reach you on social or any other handles? So, I am Clevon Jacobs on Facebook. Um, We are also at One Shared Humanity on Facebook. You'll find me there. And then my website is launching soon. It is not quite launched, but it's almost done. I did the proofs yesterday um, at VonJacobs.org. And so um, you can find me at Von. If you want to email me, it's Von at VonJacobs.org. But if you look me up on Facebook, it's Clevon Jacobs. And I think on Instagram I'm Clevon Michelle because that is my. Yes, name. I was. Took me a while to find you. I'm like, where is she? <laughs> yeah, I think on uh, an Instagram. Instagram, I'm still learning. Like I, I, got on Instagram so I could look at my cousins' pictures, because <laughs> they all, they're all like, you know, 20 years younger than me, and they take all these glorious pictures and they do all this stuff on Instagram, um, and I love following them. But I am, they are teaching me now how to actually use Instagram. So that's going to be growing as well. Um, but yeah, I'm out here. And you're on LinkedIn as well under Clevon I Jacobs. am on LinkedIn under Clevon Jacobs. Yes. So we'll put all the
0: links in the show notes guys. So no worries. You don't have to sit down and write it all down. Once the show notes comes out and everything, we'll have all the contact information and links in the show notes for you. So you can easily reach out to Vaughn and ask for questions Uh, hire her or if you're in need for information she's the woman to go to from all the things that you just heard today and if she's not the person I know she knows somebody who can help you
1: yes and uh, with that any other final words for our listeners Uh, I just want to say thank you for having me it's been so much fun I mean when we connected at summer camp it was great and I just want to encourage your listeners to really give themselves permission to dream and dream big you know you you deserve that you are worthy of that so just give yourself permission
0: because it just gives me chills like a goosebumps <laughs> <laughs> so with that my friends we're out of here for this week's pursue your spark podcast please reach out to us on instagram facebook at heike yates or pursue your spark podcast and Cleveland jacobs all of the things that will be in the show notes let us know how you enjoyed this episode how vaughn has helped you with some of those things that she mentioned and what path you may follow or dreams you may follow after listening to this episode and we really mean it so reach out and with that, my friends i'm out of here and i'll see you next week on the pursue your spark podcast Ciao.